Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today we have an amazing guest for our 20th episode, Mr. Meathead Goldwyn from AmazingRibs.com. I can't wait to get into our discussion with Meathead, so I'll be right back. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling, from fire and water. Thanks for joining me again on the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today I've got a really special guest for our 20th episode here. I want to introduce Mr. Meathead Goldwyn from Amazing Ribs. Thanks for joining me, Meathead. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. And we, by the way, we're never, we never say Amazing Ribs. When you say I'm from Amazing Ribs, then I get phone calls at 10 o'clock at night asking if I deliver. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so amazingribs.com. It is the biggest, it is, it is the biggest, biggest uh, barbecue website, I think, on the uh, internet. So. Oh, it is. It is. That's demonstrably true. So you started this. How long ago was it when you first started amazingribs.com? I launched it in 2005, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting story. I got, uh, I had a neighbor who was a retired butcher. And, you know, it's one of these things like uh, the, the TV show. The two of us were talking over the fence, and he started ragging about how great a, bar- a barbecue cookie was and how great his ribs were. I said, I got pretty good ribs, too. And, you know, we'd start, we start chest thumping, and the next thing you know, we throw down. And uh, our wives are going to be the judges. And uh, so we set a date, and uh, I come in, and, I, you know, I've got pretty good ribs, but, you know, I really had never gotten serious about them. So I immediately went to Amazon to see if there was a good book on, on, on rib cooking. And there was almost nothing on barbecue and rib cooking on Amazon. Believe it or not, in this world today, where there's like 10 new barbecue books a year, there were only two or three barbecue books available in 2005. At the time, I had just sold a business that was a wine website and a wine magazine. I was the wine critic for the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune. So I decided, what the heck? What will I do next? Let's do a barbecue website and a book. And at the time, Amazon listed everything alphabetically, so I named it AmazingRibs.com, starting with an A, so that when I put out the book, we would be the first one on the list. <laughs> you should have named it Triple A Aardvark. <laughs> yeah, right. Aardvark ribs. <laughs> oh, dear. Boy, that was ancient times, man. I built the website myself. I learned HTML. I built my, the website myself. Um, we had, It started out with just one recipe, ribs, and then I... Uh, put in some uh, pulled pork and then, you know, went on to bread. I got deep into it and I, you know, I've always had an interest in the sciences and anybody who has visited amazingribs.com knows that we have a strong flavor of science and our book uh, is subtitled, well, it's titled Meathead, but the subtitle is The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. So that, you know, it, it all just took off after that. So where did the nickname Meathead come from? Or is that your actual name? <laughs> I think it is my actual name. 
you know, I'm an old fart, and I'm back in the Archie Bunker days. Now, for the young listeners here, you may have heard of Archie. It was a TV sitcom, um, a, a really a wonderful sitcom, uh, and it, it starred Arch, uh, a character named Mark, Archie Bunker and his daughter and her boyfriend. Um, I guess he was married to her. Um, uh, the boyfriend was Rob Reiner, and he was a flaming liberal, and Archie was an arch conservative. This was in the Nixon days, and they used to get you know in big fights over politics and race and religion. And Archie just called uh, the son meathead, um, and uh, Dad and I had similar political alignments, and we got into arguments over politics. This is during the Vietnam War, and. Uh, uh, he he just started calling me Meathead, uh, just like the Archie Bunker character. Uh, he wasn't as bigoted as Archie was, but uh, it, it just kind of stuck. And uh, when I got into barbecue in the early 90s on the Internet, you had to have a handle, you know? Um, you had to have a, a, a nickname. So I chose Meathead, and it just stuck. Well, it fits with barbecue. I mean, sure you know, that's a perfect nickname for somebody who's into barbecue. Absolutely, so. yeah. And, you know, it's worked well because this is, you know, in, in this day and age, you got to have a brand, you know? I mean, uh, right. you look at Madonna or Lady Gaga or something, you know? I got to have a I just have more hair than them. Yeah, and that's kind of like why I started Fire and Water Cooking. I mean, it's a brand people can understand that, mm-hmm. you know, is sous vide and, you know, barbecue, it's fire and water working together. That's when mm-hmm. I use, you know, I use the uh, yin and yang symbol to, uh, you know, that, that brings them together. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, uh, it's great. So how did it all kind of snowball growing for you? I mean, did, when you started getting other people involved, like Dr. Blonder and Clint and all that? Well, I launched the site in 2005 with, as I said, just the one recipe, and it started growing, but it was a sideline. I was building websites. I I did my undergraduate work in journalism, so I was a reasonably good writer. I had written for the Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune, and, uh, you know, I I knew how to communicate with words. Um, I did my master's in, um, in, 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 in photography, um, and I'm a decent photographer. And uh, here I was, a competent web builder. So I took these three skills and I started marketing myself to small to medium businesses saying, hey, let me build a website for you. I can write it, I can photograph it, and I can build it. And uh, as a demo, I created AmazingRibs.com to show on my own site something that I could do, uh, combining all three skills. And it started taking off. Uh, in those days, there were no barbecue sites, like there were no books. Uh, and and Google fell in love with it. Google started sending me traffic. Uh, and for a long time, we were really the only ones out there. Now, anybody with a grill and a keyboard has a daddy blog about barbecue and grilling. I mean, we've got hundreds of competitors out there, although I, you know they're really not competitors, not on the, on our scale. By 2010, there was enough traffic and advertising that I stopped doing web development for others, fired all my clients, and started uh, working full-time on AmazingRibs.com. Within a few years, I hired Max Good. Um, Max is our full-time grill and smoker tester. Um, And uh, 
somewhere along the line, Professor Blonder, um, he had just left AT&T, where he was head of, uh, of, of uh, research and development um, and a physicist and an engineer with a strong interest in food science. And he had stumbled into the website. We started corresponding. And uh, I said, you know, there's one thing that's always vexed me. That's the stall, the barbecue stall. And that's what happens when you do something like a pork butt or a brisket. You put it on the grill or on the smoker at about 225. And the internal meat temperature slowly rises till it hits about 150, 60, maybe 170. And then it stops and it stops rising and it stalls at that temp for hours. And if you're a rookie and this happens to you, you freak out because your spouse is in there and uh, the vegetables are ready. The guests are there. They're getting drunk, waiting for dinner to come to the table. And you're stuck at 170 degrees and you want to take it up to 190, 200 and you just can't get it to go. And you crank up the heat. And uh, now experienced people know about it and they were combating it by wrapping the meat in foil. Um, but nobody really knew what caused the barbecue stall. There was a lot of speculation. A lot of people thought it had to do with um, energy expended by uh, converting uh, the connective tissue to collagen or by rendering fat. Um, so I asked Blonder what he thought, and he put his thinking cap on, and we developed a couple of experiments that he executed, and he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was evaporative cooling that it was simply a matter of the moisture evaporating from the surface of the meat at the same rate as the warm air was warming the meat. So you reached a level of stasis where it was cooling at the same rate it was heating and it wouldn't continue to rise on internal temp until the surface dried out. And when the surface dried out, forming the bark, um, then you the, the meat would start going back up in temp. And that's why wrapping it in foil works because you were preventing the evaporation. Um, and he did serious series of experiments and we proved that. And I remember I went to the barbecue brethren and I posted information about it and they all shouted me down. You're an effing idiot. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's fat, it's collagen. And it was like, okay, I'm done with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's well, hard sometimes for people to wrap their heads around stuff when they've been taught myths and traditions. Well, that's, um, that's yeah. part of the issue, you know. We all learn to cook from dad. Um, right. You know, just the same way women learn to cook from mom. Um, I learned to barbecue and grill from my dad. Uh, he had an old Weber kettle out back, and I'd stand there, and he'd grill up uh, uh, flank steaks and maybe let me have a sip of beer, which made it more fun. And uh, I learned all the myths from him. And when you start proving that bone-in ribeye is not better than boneless ribeye, that the bone has nothing to contribute to the flavor, um, people just absolutely refuse to believe you. When you try to teach people that the beer can in a beer can chicken has does nothing to improve the flavor, they just don't believe you. Yeah. I, um, using that evaporative cooling the, that I learned from your website, one of, the, one of the things when I do sous vide and barbecue, I take a chicken, a spatchcock chicken, and I'll sous vide it to 148. Then I'll throw it on the grill. And the internal temperature of that chicken does not rise as fast as you would think. 
and it's due to the evaporative cooling, like you mm-hmm. said, because the the chicken's already at 148, so it takes it a lot longer for that internal temperature to rise. And you know, people will go, "Oh, if you stick it on a you know 375 degree grill, it's going to rise right away." And you're at, you know at 300 degrees internal temp on the chicken. It's like, no, it takes it you know, literally 45 minutes to an hour to even start rising. Yeah, when you take food out of the bag, you have to decide what your next step is. If you're going to sear it like a steak, you need to pat it dry. Otherwise, the surface is just going to steam. It's not going to brown. You're not going to get the Maillard reaction. But if you're going to do what you just did, where if you want to get some smoke flavor on it, we've also proven that smoke sticks to wet surfaces. So you don't want to pat it dry. If you want smoke flavor, you want to leave it wet. Exactly. Yeah. And that's basically what I tell people. And like you said, you know, when you're trying to dispel some of these myths and traditions that people do, like, you know, mustard on a pork butt, you know, you got to have mustard on it. You know, no, you don't really. But if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But it's. Yeah. I mean, mustard works great to help hold on the the spice rub. But the the flavor particles in um, ballpark mustard or even Dijon mustard are very, very few. And there's, they contribute almost nothing. If you want a mustard flavor, go get Coleman's powdered mustard. Now you're talking mustard flavor, sprinkle right. that on there. But there's, yeah, put it, put it in the rub or something. Yeah, or put it yeah, in the sauce. A, exactly. a jar of prepared mustard is mostly water or vinegar or both. So let's, let's talk and moving from that. So you built the website up before the book came out or was it kind of in conjunction or? Well, I, you know, I thought since I, when I got into this, you know, the virility match with my neighbor (laughs) that uh, I would write a book, you know, because since there were few, I said, well, here's an opportunity. I need to become an expert on ribs and write a book. So I start the website uh, as a demo for my development skills. And also I figure I'll write a book on the side. And so I started gathering information, started doing research, and uh, uh, it, it just I you know took forever for me to get enough information. And as I worked closer with Blonder, I realized how little I knew and how much misinformation, mythology was out there. So the book took until 2016 to come out. Um, I mean, I actually spent maybe three years hard work on the book itself. But it was a culmination of uh, 10 years or so of gathering information, learning, and writing. Uh, and uh, it was a, a labor of love. And I, I, I'm very happy with the book. It's almost 200,000 copies. I think only Steve Raiklin has surpassed that. And he's been, you know, the king of book uh, barbecue books for years. Um, it is uh, uh, one of the best-selling cookbooks on Amazon uh, still. I think it's because it's different than most barbecue books in that the first half of the book is a science text. And a lot of the things that you and I are just discussing, we talk about in the first half of the book. Um, What is fire? What is heat? What is smoke? What is meat science? And we get into all of this technology um, and, and science, hopefully so that you can understand it. I don't think it's too dense. And then the second half are recipes that apply the theory. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part of Amazing Ribs and your book is that there's a reason for everything and why it works the way it does and how it, you know, how smoke, you know, works with meat and how the seasonings and stuff affect with the meat. So once you know the basics of that, 
you can do anything as far as cooking goes. So, I mean, you can create your own rubs. You can, you know, you can try different things and experiment. Once you understand it, it's kind of hard to do that if you don't know what, what, how these things all interact with each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, it's the old version. It's another version of the old saying, teach a man to fish or give a man a fish, teach a man, give a man a meal or teach him how to cook. Um, um, and, and it's perfectly suited for these this day. Um, we are in a technological era. We're an inquisitive uh, species. We, you know, there are just an awful lot of people like you and me who, when we read a recipe, we want to know, why do I do that step two? What happens if I don't do step two? What happens if I increase the temperature? What happens if I leave out the sugar? And we want to know why, not just step one, step two, step three, do what I say, march in time. Um, and I think that's that's a trend now in all the culinary world. In the culinary world today, there's a nerdist movement. I mean, everybody knows about Alton Brown and Christopher Kimball. Uh, our godfather is Harold McGee, the food scientist who wrote a book called On Food and Cooking. Uh, Shirley Coraher, who is one of Alton Brown's uh, advisors. Um, Kenji Lopez-Alt is uh, my favorite. Um, And he wrote the introduction to my book. Um, We're all nerds. And this nerd movement is apparently got some legs. And I think that's a big reason why AmazingRibs.com and the book have succeeded. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't have to be a secret. And that's one of the things I loved about, I had Harry Sue on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things he does is he tries to teach everybody, you know, he doesn't hold back any secrets. You know, I'm not going to teach you the stuff that I really, really know. He teaches you everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he just gives and gives, you know, because there's no reason to have secrets in cooking. I mean, <laughs> I mean, teaching people how to do things is what I love to do. That's why I started the website. And it's kind of sounds to me like why you started amazing ribs is to teach people, you know, and that's, that's a better thing than me than sitting here going, you know, I know a secret on how to cook pork butter. I know the, you know, I'd rather teach everybody how to do it. I don't know. That's just the way that I've, I was brought up to teach people what I've learned. So, well, you know, it's really gratifying too. There's not a day that goes by and I'm not exaggerating that I don't get an email or a post to the website or one of the social media sites saying, you've changed my life. Um, that when I come home from work, the kids say, mom, can dad cook tonight? Um, or um, I got laid last night because of your recipes. You know? <laughs> um, and I get this stuff every day. I mean, some of them are really powerful. My dad and I used to barbecue together and he's sick. He's dying of cancer. And um, for his last meal, I cooked your ribs. And he was so thrilled. You know, I mean, goodness gracious. Um, that's that's heartrending information, you know. And when I was a kid, I was a pretty good student. And I, I thought that I would, you know, change the world. I would, you know, win the Nobel Prize or be a doctor or something. And I, when I got to college, I discovered I was not a lot smarter than anybody else. Um, and, and when I got out into the work world, I discovered that the world wasn't changing much because of me, but I did discover when I really got rolling with amazingribs.com that I could change the world, that I was changing the world. I was teaching people how to cook and how to make their friends and family happy one meal at a time. And that's changing the world.
Exactly. I mean, that's the the thing I love the most is cooking. I I started cooking very young, followed what my mom was doing. Then I worked in restaurants, you know, when I was 16 cooking. And Well, you got to start early. I got started early, you know, back when, you know, the labor laws weren't as tight as they are now. So, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, I, I did that for the first probably 15 years of my professional career that I found I couldn't really, you know, make a lot of money doing cooking, you know, <laughs> unless I wanted to work the crazy hours. So I got into banking and I, that's what I've been doing, but I always love cooking. And that's what I've done is a hobby. And, and my, you know, family now I do all the cooking. My wife doesn't like to cook. I cook really? all meals and, uh, I love, you know, having people over and cooking for multiple people and, and all that. So I just, well, I, I just it's a passion of mine. So. I'll share a secret with you. I'm the second best cook in this house. <laughs> that's what my that was one of my married. questions I was going to see how, how how you know who cooks the most in your house so. right now it's my wife i've been busy working on some projects uh, that uh, uh have kept me away from the kitchen but uh i i'm working on a new book and uh any day now i'm going to dive deep into the new recipes i'm working on and uh, i will uh, kick her out of the kitchen but uh, uh she's been doing a lot of the cooking lately although uh, last night i uh I did some beautiful pork chops last night. So, uh, you know, we share it. Well, that's good. But yeah, I, I started, you know, very young and I've just, it's always been a passion of mine. And I've, I like all different kinds of cooking and not, not just barbecue. And that's kind of how I got the sous vide and the barbecue kind of mixed uh-huh. together because, you know, it's a new method to, to me. And I, once I got d- deep into how, how it could work together, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it's a light bulb came on and I, like you, I saw there wasn't a lot of people doing it. I mean, there were, I saw some people every once in a while would have a sous vide and barbecue, you know, video out there, but they didn't really concentrate on it. It was just kind of something special. So I thought maybe I would kind of put it together and then show people and teach people you know, how they can work together and, and get. Well, it's, it's a fun concept. And it, you know, when you combine sous vide with grilling and smoking, you really can get the best of both. And in some cases, you can get better than both. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm sure you and your readers know is that when you take food out of the uh, sous vide bag, it's butt ugly and it doesn't have a crust. It doesn't have any Maillard reaction flavors. And you've got to sear it in some fashion or you've got to brown it in some fashion or you've got to smoke it in some fashion and you can put all the herbs and spices you want in that bag you can put all the butter and oil you want in that bag and it's not getting into the meat so you basically the sous vide process is simply a heating process and a pasteurization process and it's after you're done with the sous vide process that you got to bring the flavor and you've got to bring um, uh, the, tr- the treatments that will kick it up to something special. And the grill and the smoker are really good ways to do it. Exactly. Well, we're, we'll get deep into that on the second part of this. But right now, I want to get into some more stuff about pretty much just barbecue, since that's your biggest um the history let's discuss different styles and methods of barbecue. I'm sure that was one of the things that kind of opened your eyes you go to different regions and there's different you know you got memphis where it's all ribs and dry rub and then you got you know kansas city where it's a mixture of everything then texas so mm-hmm. well i mean i've traveled quite a bit but um more than regional styles which i'm really into i mean i have a great interest in history and culture um 
And, you know, there's a reason mustard is popular in South Carolina, mustard sauces, because it was heavily populated by Germans. And Germans and pork and mustard go together like peanut butter and jelly. Um, so there's history there. There's culture there. Um, but f what I'm really interested in teaching is the different styles of barbecue um, from a culinary or technical standpoint. One of the hardest things I have to get across the, is the concept that when you, when you cook, you have um, three different um, heat sources. Um, you, you have, um, first of all, warm air, which is a very slow, gentle cooking method. Um, you have, uh, and that's convection cooking. Um, then you have conduction, which is the hot metal from the grill grates, uh, storing energy and transmitting it and branding the surface of the food by storing hot, high energy. And then you have infrared radiation, which comes from glowing red coals or flame. And how these three are different. One of the biggest hurdles I struggle with is with the, um, uh, the Kamado crowd, in particular, the big green egg people. And I'm going to insult some people out there. I hope they can take it like a man. But they run around and they say, my big green egg gets up to 600 degrees. Well, that's wonderful. That's warm air. But you really can't sear a steak unless you have infrared radiation. And infrared radiation is different than warm air. Now, you can also sear a steak with hot metal with a frying pan. And we have the same problem on, um, on, on pellet smokers. They say, oh, my pellet smoker gets up to 600. But you can't really sear a steak on a pellet smoker because it's really a smoker. It's not a grill. You really can't get that dark crust unless you are directly over glowing red coals or flame. And you need to be close to it to get that sear. So it just doesn't matter. People ask us all the time, um, I need a grill that gets really hot. No, you don't. You need a grill that generates infrared radiation if you're going to sear. I can sear a steak better on a $30 um, hibachi than I can on a big green egg or a pellet smoker. And getting these concepts across. I understand what you're saying, but you know, you can do that on a Kamado. You just have to know how to do it. You got to get your grate down there by the chart, the right. coals, you know, you're not going to do right. it with the lid closed and it's sitting up high. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, you can get it. Yeah. If I get my, okay. I have Kamado Joe, so I've got the divide and conquer. So I can move the grate. I can move the grate right over the coals. And that's where you need to be. Like you said. Mm -hmm. even, even yeah, the divide is a good solution, but it's still, you still have that narrow funnel at the bottom and it's not the same as a wide flat surface um, where you can, um, uh, well, you know, one of the real popular grills, like on the steak circuit now is the uh, PK grill. Right. And, uh, here you've got the charcoal four inches below the surface. And the, and you also, when you cook with grill grates, you get really good, strong contact between the metal and the surface. Um, so, you know, the, 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 it, it's a difficult concept and I've, I've written about it, but, um, you know, again, it's like when we first explained the stall um, or people just aren't buying it. Yeah. And I noticed that uh, at the sous vide summit and, and you, I've seen this on amusingribs.com as well. 
you showing people how to sear in a chimney in a charcoal chimney because yeah because it concentrates the heat right there i mean in that you know eight inch around or 12 inch around you know circle you got concentrated heat coming out like a jet engine well and the real factor at play here is that if you have a single layer of charcoal you have x amount of energy and especially if you're using briquettes each briquette is identical in the amount of energy um, if you put two layers of charcoal you have double the energy if you have three layers of charcoal, three times. So in a chimney, you often have seven or eight or 10 layers of charcoal um, in a very concentrated area. A Weber chimney holds 88 briquettes. That's a lot of briquettes. And I think, what is it, six inches diameter? I mean, it's like the back end of an F-16. Um, uh, there's a picture of me standing in front of three of those chimneys. What we did was, is the Allen Brothers people brought a bunch of their um, strip stakes, and uh, they sous vided the strip stakes uh, to 135, which was a little more than I wanted to see, because uh, that's right on the edge of medium rare. But uh, uh, I took those babies, and they were only about an inch thick, and put them on top of the charcoal chimneys, and I did 500 of them in about four hours in 100-degree heat standing behind three chimneys emitting over a thousand degrees each in temperature. I was one sweaty, hot mother. <laughs> I drank a lot of beer that afternoon, but I did 500 steaks that way. Got a spectacular sear on the surface of them because of all that concentrated energy. And that energy is not properly measured in degrees Fahrenheit. Like I was saying about, you know, my, 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 my uh, pellet grill gets up to 600. It's really energy. And, you know, the, 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 here's the example that we need to, uh, if you, let's say you, you, you get your oven, your indoor oven, set it for 200. And when you get it up to 200, open the door and stick your arm in. You can actually hold your arm inside a 200 degree oven for, I don't know, a minute or two. I've never tried how long it is. You can do it. It's 200 degrees. Now put your arm, put your hand on the side of that oven. Now that metal is 200 degrees, just like the air. But when you get back from the hospital, you'll understand that the metal stores and transmits more energy at 200 degrees than the air does. And so it's energy that we really are interested in when we're talking about cooking, not temperature Fahrenheit. And when you're talking about infrared radiation, when you're talking about glowing red coals or the sun beating down on the back of your neck, you're actually talking about calories. And we don't have calorimeters in our backyards, but it's the infrared radiation that we're really interested in when we're talking about searing. Um, it was searing over, other than you know, cooking in a hot pan. So it, it's a real, again, I'm back to that same concept of searing. Right. All right. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break here and um, so I'll be right back. Hey guys, I just want to take a minute to mention Inkbird Barbecue Products. They're the sponsor of our podcast today. And they have their Bluetooth 4 Probe Digital Barbecue Thermometer, the IBT4XS, is on sale on Amazon right now for 20% off. Gets it to $44. It has a 500 foot range with Bluetooth. It works with your iPhone, Android device. You can monitor your pit temperature plus up to three different foods. Works great. Lots of options. Check it out on Amazon in the description below. I've got a link to it. 
Check out Inkbird. They have other products out there as well. Thanks for Inkbird for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to our show. All right, so we're back here with Meathead, and we're going to continue that discussion we were just talking about because I want to go into um, some different types of uh, barbecue and the difference between competition cooking and home cooking, especially because me and Clint had a couple, you know, had had a conversation about that when we when he was on the podcast as well. And um, one of the things that we talked about was that you know competition cooking, what most people see on some of these barbecue shows is totally different than what the, those guys do at home. By the way, here's a scoop for you. I haven't told anybody but Clint. Um, should I get abducted by aliens or uh, run over by a truck? Um, uh, I have named Clint first vice president and uh, heir apparent. So uh, uh, one of these days he will be running the show uh, since I'm significantly older than he. <laughs> well, he, he's got some knowledge, that's for sure. So He does, and he's a fine cook and uh, a great guy. Yeah, he, he was. Uh, we had a really good discussion. I learned a lot from him, So, um, especially since he did most of the sous vide barbecue uh, recipes. Yeah, on the, yeah. Uh, we, about three years ago, we talked a lot about sous vide, and I was tied up with some other stuff, and I said, well, why don't you become our resident expert? And uh, he actually knows more about it than I do. Although after I went to this conference, I'm ready to challenge him. So Cool. So what do you think, um, like I said, about the, the difference between competition cooking and home cooking and all that? Well, I mean, competition cooking, you're cooking for judges who are going to get one or two bites at the most. So, you, you know, you, 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 you can't be um, a delicate, simple um, elegant cook. You've got to be a big buxom, uh, hit him in between the eyes cook. You got just a few seconds to knock them out of their chair. So the style of cooking tends to be very intense, very concentrated flavors, big, bold flavors, um, sweet, um, getting the sweet and the heat balanced. Um, I mean, I've seen Competition cooks uh, put one rub on top of a rib bone and a different rub underneath the rib bone because the underside hits the tongue and the upper side it does not, or they put sauce on the top and rub on the bottom. I mean, they really are clever about the techniques they employ. And when you ask a competition cook, now Clint keep, competes occasionally, I don't. Um, uh, but when, when you ask a competition cook, um, if they cook like that at home, they almost always start chuckling. Heck no. Uh, first of all, it's too much trouble. I mean, the things that they do, um, uh, such as wrapping ribs in, in, in foil. Um, I mean, it does help, but it's a very small amount. Uh, you know, maybe improves the quality by 10%, 15%. Well, I mean, if you've got friends and family coming over 4th of July and you're doing 15, 20 slabs of ribs, Trust me, you don't have to wrap them in foil and waste all that aluminum foil. They're going to be thrilled with them if you're, they're not wrapped. And then all the injections and the uh, multiple layering and the, uh, uh, the liquid margarine that they use and stuff, that's just a lot of, a lot of stuff being done for presentation and uh, it, you know, it makes it, I mean, when there's 10 grand in prize money on the line, you better do it. Uh, but, uh, it's a lot more than most of them are willing to do at home. And, uh, they, they, 
and, and and for many they just say it's just too too big and powerful a flavor for serving for dinner it's too much on the palate yeah that's that's kind of what we discussed uh, even with harry you know it's it's you're cooking like you said for that one bite trying to get noticed by the judge so that they can they can differentiate yours between the the next guys that they they're going to have to take a bite out of and those people you know those type of things you're not going to do like you said you got 20 people coming over you're not putting them margarine and three different kinds of honey and agave and and inject Mm -hmm. injecting it with all kinds of this and using 12 different kinds of rubs because Mm -hmm. you probably couldn't eat a whole rack of ribs like that (laughs) without getting sick because it's so sweet and you know yeah and 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 harry is great you've mentioned him twice tonight and i'm glad you have because he's one of my favorite people on earth um uh we were both guest speakers the uh the name stars at an event in northern, uh, at the Angel Fire Resort in northern New Mexico a few years back. And we flew into uh, Santa Fe uh, from different directions, but arrived around the same time, rented a car and drove up there five, six hours, beautiful drive together. And we just spent a lot of time driving up there and then back and at the conference. And we really got to know each other. And I really got to respect his theory and philosophy of cooking. And I mean, I, I'm, he knows how to cook for the judges and he also knows how to cook for family and friends. And they're not always the same thing. No, he could, he's the type of guy that you could, and he's, I've seen him do this on some of his videos. You throw a basket, like at chopped, you know, you throw a basket of food at him Mm -hmm. and you tell him, cook me something good in in 10 minutes. He'll do it, you know, because he's that good of a cook. You know, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I have been invited to compete on some of these shows and I decline. Um, I have, I, I get my butt kicked. I, I'm much more deliberative. I have to think things through. Okay. Today I want to come up with something interesting to do with flank steak. Well, what hasn't been done? What kind of flavors might work with it? And I start noodling and thinking, you know, I wonder how hoisin sauce would work on a flank steak. And well, you know, that's going to be kind of thick and sweet. I got to cut it. Maybe I need some sort of acidity. What kind of acid? And this will go on for hours while I'm trying to develop a recipe. I can't think on my feet like those competition cooks do. And uh, uh, so I turn it down when I'm invited. Plus, I've got everything to lose and nothing to gain. I have a reputation of being a good cook. And if I show up on one of these shows, I'm going to get my butt kicked and thrown off in the first round. And there goes my reputation. Yeah, I've <laughs> seen that happen with some, I think. Uh... Oh, it just happened to poor Tuffy. Um, Tuffy was on one of those competitions. I mean, there's no better competition cook on earth. And he just got kicked off in the second round of uh, of a TV show. I saw Dr. Barbecue get it kicked in the teeth on the yeah, he knows how to cook. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't matter. Like you said, you, you, there's so there's certain people that can do that. You throw a basket of stuff at them, and they can make you know make anything out of it. So, all right, well, let's get into the sous vide and the barbecue because um, your site's one of the only sites that I've ever seen that has sous vide Q on there, and um, that's kind of what got me interested in doing what I'm doing. Is is mm-hmm. it? it when I saw that you guys had it on there, it made it more, okay, well, this is something that's got legs because if Meathead's looking at it saying this has legs, you know, it's got to be something. So that's kind of what got me started in doing this. And the more I get into it, the more I love it. So don't try to blame me. (laughs) Well, and it is, you get some of the additional guys, they just can't wrap their heads around it. And it's like, 
you know, they don't understand, like you were talking about earlier, uh, you know, cooking with hot air and cooking with hot water is, is two different way, two different things yeah, because yeah, water, yeah. water transfers heat into the meat a lot better than air does. Yep. So, yeah. And yeah, it, it, the, the, a lot of the traditionalists, we, we, you're a member of our pit master club and you may be thinking of a member uh, who shall go nameless um, who's been showing up in all the sous vide discussions. Um, and we're about ready to kick this SOB out of here. Um, we have the Pitmaster Club is such a wonderful environment. There's so we, we just really stamp down any meanness, controvert well, with plenty of controversy, plenty of debate, but no name calling. You know, in my world, the name of the game is put great food on the table. And I don't care how you get it there. Um, and if barbecue, uh, grilling, sous vide, frying, um, I don't care what you do to get it there. And uh, when sous vide first appeared to me, from the because I have a science interest, it caught my attention right away. It makes such interesting sense. The idea of cooking in hot air, in an oven, or frying, or any of the normal cooking methods is you cook food in something really hot. So it's like being on a train and the train doesn't stop at the station. And so when the you have to jump off a moving train and you've got to get that steak, if you want a steak done at 130 to 135, which is perfect medium rare, you got to, you got to jump off that train when the steak hits 130 to 135. The oven temp or the air temp or the grill temp may be 400 degrees or 500 degrees. You may have infrared radiation pounding it from all sides. You've got to figure out when to jump. And it's pretty easy to miss the station. With sous vide, you've got a private chauffeur. And he drives you right to the station. He stops at the station, lets you off, and waits there for you until you're ready to go. You set the sous vide temperature to 131, and it just stays there. And you'll never overcook that steak because it can't go to 135. It can't go to 132. So it, it, it you know that alone caught my attention, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago. But, you know, in those days, the, the home cooking tools were really expensive. And, and over the past couple of years, as you know, the tools have really come down in price. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the Anova and the Jewel in particular, those are the leaders uh, with their Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connections, are both under 200. And some of them are down under 100 now, some of the models. So it's a technique, a tool that anybody can access. Um, and, you know, we used to say on our, we still do, we say on our website, if you boil ribs, the terrorists have won. And it, it's, a, it's a fun motto when people quote it everywhere. Well, this is not boiling. Um, it, it's in a, a, a pouch inside the water. It's not in water. Boiling or putting food in water is putting it in a solvent. And water is a solvent. And when you take the ribs out of the water, the water's brown. That's flavor that comes out. Uh, you're not doing that. The flavor is all captured in that bag. Uh, so, you know, it's a very different approach, very different philosophy. Um, and, you know, one of the neatest parts of sous vide is, is if you're doing it, I mean, you know, you've got company coming, say six people coming over for dinner you get stuck in the kitchen while everybody's out having cocktails and appetizers. You're in there getting the dinner ready. 
with with sous vide, dinner's ready and it's sitting there waiting waiting for you. Um, you can be out there having cocktails and appetizers. Um, I mean, it, there are just so many good reasons to cook sous vide. Plus the fact that as any barbecue cook knows, low and slow means tender. At low and slow, you can melt connective tissues, you can render fats, um, and, 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 and sous vide is the ultimate low and slow. Um, uh, I've heard it called redneck sous vide. Uh, barbecue is called redneck sous vide because you, you, you're cooking low and slow. Um, so it's got all of the right stuff there. Um, the, the only downside is, and I've done this, and I don't know if you've done it, and I think maybe some of your readers have, is I've done side-by-side ribeye steaks. I've done one that I reverse sear, which is the red redneck sous vide, and I've and I've done one sous vide then sear, and the sous vide steak is more tender and more juicy. The reverse sear steak is more flavorful, and so it's a trade-off. The sous vide steak doesn't quite have the richness and flavor that you get um, from the grill. It was a charcoal grill. Um, and the grilled steak, uh, reverse sear, uh, had more flavor, but it was still very tender. It was just not as tender and juicy. So, it, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, what's your preference? Uh, both techniques are really good and both techniques are fun. Yeah, that's one of the things I like to get people to think about is one doesn't replace the other. One technique doesn't replace the other. They're just two different techniques. I mean, mm-hmm. I can take a, a brisket or I just did beef ribs that I cooked, um, you know, plate ribs for 134 degrees for 48 hours that I made them, you know, medium rare. And it's how, how can you do that cooking it traditionally? You really can't, you got to cook it up to 200 degrees to get them tender. You know, it's, you know, so you got to pretty much make brisket or beef ribs well done to make them tender. Even if you're braising them, you got to cook the meat till it's tender and it's usually, you know, at the higher temperature. So, so we- right. And medium rare beef is a different flavor sensation than well. Done. I mean, typically beef ribs, Texas style, you're going to cook them up to around 200 degrees. They are tan on the inside. They're full of flavor. They're tender and they're juicy because you've melted fat and collagen, but it's a different, the muscle tissue is different because it's brown. You've turned all the myoglobin brown, whereas if you do it at 134, as you did, you're going to get pink meat, and you're going to get the same tenderness and juiciness that you're accustomed to, but you're going to get a different flavor profile, and that's cool. Yeah, and that's that's what I like about it. It's not replacing. I can I can still throw them on the grill and cook them traditionally, and if, if that's what I want to do. It doesn't replace, you know one method doesn't replace the other. And that's what I try to get through, especially the hard headed people that, like you said, like the guy in the, the pit master club, you know, it, you know, this guy, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, no, I haven't really. Oh, okay. I usually, okay. you know, and I, I have a fa- big Facebook group and I get people that come in there joined to, to do that, you know, that they come in just to try to poo poo sous vide on anything. And I, they don't last very long because they show their face pretty quick. Well, they'll sit there and just go. We don't have much of it. I, in, we average one person. We got a hundred and we got sixteen thousand members, and we average eighty three percent renewal rate. That's just unheard of. The American Medical Society gets eighty three percent renewal. Um, uh, we average one person a year that we have to kick off, and this guy is this close to getting kicked off. Um, but uh, and, and, and believe me, if you're thinking about coming in, we we don't we don't restrict freedom of speech. 
We just ask people to be no politics, no race, no religion, and be polite. And if you disagree with somebody, if you think your cooker is better, make your case with the facts. Don't tell people, you stupid idiot. Exactly. And that's kind of what I follow too. You know, you can have a, you know, grown up conversation with somebody. If you like it your certain way, nobody's going to tell you that it's wrong. I mean, because personal preference is a big thing. And I talked about this with Clint a lot too, in our podcast is you can't go to get around personal preference. And, you know, somebody likes their steak medium rare. That's great. If they like it well done, that's them. They're the one eating their food. You can't tell people how to eat their food. You know, if it doesn't, you know, you don't like it that way, then you don't have to cook it or eat it that way. But well, of course, taste is a matter of taste, but I'll tell you on that very same subject though. I have a theory, and I think I have seen it uh, demonstrated, that one of the reasons people prefer well-done steak is they think the juices are blood. And as you know, we have harped on this subject for years. A steak is 75% water. Um, Those liquids are not blood. The blood is removed at the slaughterhouse. That's water. It's pink because there's a protein called myoglobin that is pink tinted and it tints the water if it was blood it would be the same color as your blood which is really dark dark red almost black and if it came out of the meat it would be thick and it would coagulate these juices are watery thin and they're pink it's pink water myo water to be scientifically correct and when you explain that to people they almost always go oh and then i say well even if it was blood and you cook it to well done, where would it have gone? It would still be in there, wouldn't it? It's just that your well done is now brown. You would have just, you're, you're converting the myoglobin to tan. That's what happens to myoglobin when it's overcooked. It goes from pink to tan. Um, and uh, by the way, that's also what causes the smoke ring. Um, it, 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 it's myoglobin. Um, but um, uh, and when, you, when they hear that, you know, I like to say, Every time you call it blood, now I'm I'm talking to you listeners, every time you call it blood, somewhere in Indiana, a bell rings and a teenager becomes a vegan. (laughs) I saw that. uh, Scott uh, Scott Hemmendinger retexted that (laughs) from the CV Summit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like like these those little, uh, you know, sayings that you have because it's it's true. I mean, I know in, in... from my personal experience, my in-laws were like that. They liked everything just cooked to death because they thought everything in there was blood unless it was cooked to death. So, and you're right. I mean, people think that way. And it's just like the traditional barbecue guys, though. You, some of those people, you're just not going to turn them around no matter how much evidence or proof you can show that uh, what they think is wrong. Uh-huh. So, but uh, exactly. So let's talk about the sous vide summit now since um, – we're kind of talking about sous vide. This is uh, the first annual one. I was supposed to be there, but um, they, they invited me too late. I already had my schedule planned out for the year, but I w- hopefully will be back. You need to be, you need to be on the speaker's podium for the next yeah. one. Um, I, was supposed to be and, on the, uh, I was supposed to be on it this year, but uh, like I said, they by the time Mike and Jason let, asked me to be on, I had already had my schedule planned out and I couldn't fit it in. Yeah. So um, I'm definitely going to be in San Francisco in next San year. Francisco year and uh you know you don't have to twist my arm to get me to go out there um the uh it was the first ever to my knowledge sous vide conference anywhere um they had i don't know the exact numbers about 200 people in attendance 
Um, they were about, again, they asked for a sign, you know, people are raising their hands. I think there were about 60% home cooks and about 40% restaurateurs and caterers and things of that sort. Um, uh, they um, uh, had a really good lineup of speakers. Um, they ranged from me talking about sous vide Q and um, to uh, 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 a woman who, uh, who writes a column, uh, Will It Sous Vide, um, uh, from Life Hackers. And she's tried to sous vide everything under the sun. Um, they had uh, some scientists. Uh, they had some instructors. Uh, and they actually, you know, for a first year conference, they had an exhibit area. There weren't a lot of exhibitors, but there were some cool um, new pieces of equipment on exhibit there um, that, you know, like these tubs for holding the sous vide and racks to keep the, f- the food separated when you got like 12 steaks and you're trying to sous vide them and you don't want them laying on top of each other. You want a liquid in between them. Um, they had, uh, sous vide machines. They had vacuum machines. Um, and, uh, it, it was just a, a, a nice event and the meals were nice. Unfortunately, they ran into some sort of silliness with the hotel we were at where they couldn't cook for us. I don't remember all the problems. So we had to go off premises to a nearby park where they had, and it actually wasn't nearby. It was like a 40 minute bus ride, uh, where they did all the meals, but the meals were stunning. Um, uh, the food was stunning. Um, and, uh, I, I will say with no small modesty that, uh, these Allen brothers steaks that I cooked, uh, were a big hit. And, uh, some of the other fun things, um, one of the guys did, um, um, tomato, um, it was skinless, just the flesh part. And it was trimmed, um, like a, um, almost like a football shape and laid on top of, um, sushi rice. So it looked like salmon on rice, but it was a tomato that had been sous vide and it was fantastic. Um, there were some other fun stuff going on. A lot of good seminars. It's a really good event if you're into sous vide. They have announced next year's conference in San Francisco and the dates. Um, you, you, you should look them up yeah, and go. They're in August. I'm, I'm going next year. I'm, I already told Mike and Jason I'd, I'd be there, and it's going to be close to Anova's headquarters. And I think Kenji's going to be involved in it too this year. He had that's yeah, right because Kenji, I think his schedule was um, tied up this year too, is why he couldn't attend. So some some of the people that were that are on the board that were supposed to that should have attended weren't able to, and I think that's going to be different next year. So Kenji's right down the street. So yeah, he's in San Mateo. Kenji is open to restaurant in San Mateo. I was out that way recently and visited the place, and uh, it's it's a fun place. So yeah, I, I think that they had a really good response to that. There was a lot more than some people thought. That, you know, that's being the first one. You know, you never know how it's going to go, but um, I've heard a lot of positive feedback about it, and um, I think the next year is going to be even bigger. So. And it was great to have you out there. I know that they really enjoyed uh, your speaking and, and, and getting into that because that's one of the things I want to do is show people that, you know, sous vide is just not for steaks or chicken breast or seafood. I mean, it, it, there's so much you can do with it, with the sciences behind it, that it's not just how to cook a steak, you know, medium rare from end to end. There's a lot more you can do with it. So, Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that um, 
you know, the first thing anybody does when they get a sous vide machine is they go out and get a, a, a ribeye and they throw it in there uh, or an egg. And uh, that's all well and good. But of course, the, the, the real beauty of the sous vide machine is that you can put a piece of rump steak or flank steak, a tough cut into the sous vide machine and turn it into something as tender and juicy as a ribeye. So that's the cool. Yeah. Thing. That's my wife's favorite thing to, that I make sous vide is I take top round, you know, which is, you know, mm-hmm. people call it London broil or whatever. It's just really a tough steak unless you, you know, slice it really thin and all that. Mm-hmm. You can put that in a sous vide bath for 36 hours and it comes out as tender as a filet. I mean, she loves it. I mean, she doesn't like a lot of fat on her steaks. She's not like me. I, I like a ribeye just like anybody, but she doesn't care for a ribeye, but I'll throw a, you know, a top round steak in there for 36 hours and cook it medium rare and she'll love it. She Now, now when you say a top round, are you, you going with, how, how thick a piece of meat is this? Uh, you know, one and a half inches. So it's more the, the thinner cuts. Hmm. Yeah. We, we, um, I, I've got to try uh I have not done top round and 36 hours for a steak is longer than I would normally do it. But, uh, I got to do that. But yeah, that's Chuck roast too. I mean, Chuck roast is one of my favorites and I do that at like, or tri tip at one thirty four. you know, I'll do a, I'll do a Chuck roast at 36 hours at one thirty four. The If you go up to one thirty four, it kind of renders more of the fat and it just turns out amazing. So it's pretty much like a ribeye. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, a Chuck eye steak. <laughs> Once you get it to, you do it at that longer, you know, lower temperature at a longer time, it, it tenderizes it to where you couldn't tell a difference, you know, from a chuck eye steak on it. So, Fantastic. Yeah, there, there's a lot of fun experimenting. And one of the experiments you can do is you can do just what you're talking about. You can take a top round and do it for three hours, do it for six hours, do it for 12 hours, do it for 24 hours. Um, and, uh, and taste them and see what you like best. That's one of the things too. I like to, in, in my groups and stuff, because it's hard for people will take sous vide and try to cook something one way at one temperature at one time. And then just say, ah, well, it didn't turn out the way I want it. So I'm not going to try it anymore. And it's like, well, there's so many different ranges on time and temp and sous vide that you can adjust to make it to where you, you know, that it's perfect for you. So you can't just do it cook it, you know, 131 for, you know, eight hours and that's it. And then say, well, it came out crappy. I don't want to do it anymore because you can't do that with any cooking method, but sous vide, it's, it's, you can do so many different things with the times and temps that you can have a totally different result, you know? <laughs> that's a really good point, you know, and I, 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 I'm writing a document, a, a PDF, which you saw a draft of, um, uh, about sous vide cube. Uh, which is the term that we coined when we started writing about sous vide on our website. Um, and I like the the, the, the the ring of it, sous vide cube. And so I'm doing a, a document which is an introduction to sous vide and then dives deep into uh, such things as safety. Um, and uh, we have some really interesting new data on pasteurization temps and uh, then um, into uh, combining fire and water uh, and sous vide cube. And I'm trying to provide some rules of thumb for cooking times and temps, and I'm struggling with it because, uh, you know, it they're really across the board, and it's really hard to say, well, 90 minutes per inch, uh, because it can really vary per cut. And it really, as you said, 
varies for your preference. Exactly. And then that, that's what I try to tell people, you know, try it several different ways. And then when you lock into the way you like it, then keep it that way, you know? So it's, uh, yeah. One of the problems is a lot of people don't like to experiment. Right. Exactly. Um, a lot of questions, a lot of questions like, okay, I'm going to do this. How long should I cook? It? Well, even in barbecue, and, it's like that, you know, they want to know yeah. what's the exact temperature and the exact time where it's going to be done. And even, with, even mm -hmm. with barbecue, you can't do that because you can have a brisket, you know, be done at two, two, two Oh two or two Oh three, or you can have a brisket be done at one ninety five. you know? So mm -hmm. it all depends on the hunk of meat. So it's really, all depends. It's done when it's done, you know, on that, as far as that goes. All right. So let's talk about a couple other things before we uh, wrap it up. I want to talk about the barbecue stars video um, series that you're doing, that you're involved in. I think it's probably going to be past the time uh, for registration, but if you said, uh, I think you told me they might have some kind of a special uh, registration period afterwards. So let's talk about that. Cause I know you and Harry Sue are part of that. And so is Tuffy stone and a couple others. Yeah, this is a really interesting concept. Um, some people may have heard of the Masterclass series. Um, there's this wonderful uh, program uh, called Masterclass um, where you can sign up for a class on directing film with Steven Spielberg or uh, playing cello with Yo-Yo Ma or uh, uh, Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue doing um, uh, barbecue uh, and uh, you pay fee and you get really great production values, really well managed, well directed. Well, this other company has just launched a series called Barbecue Stars with more than just Aaron Franklin. They've got Tuffy Stone and Harry Sue and me and Ariane Dogan and Dave Buska and uh, uh, the, the guys from the State Cook-Off Association and from Meat Church. Kent Rollins, the cowboy cook. If you've never seen him on YouTube, he is fantastic. His specialty is cast iron and chuck wagon cooking. And they've got 11 um, really good barbecue and uh, outdoor cooks. And uh, each of us filmed about 10 segments. Uh, I did 10 recipes, and I think there are another t segment or two uh, of other subjects. And uh, they're going to start uh, releasing them in September. We just got done filming and uh, they're editing now. And so they have open registration that runs through um, the 29th of August. And then they're closing the registration. But they've told me that they probably will open it again um, for a few days in September. Uh, it's 297 bucks, but you get unlimited access to these uh, videos you can watch them, replay them anytime. The production values are really high quality. They sent out a professional um, production team from uh, Tulsa, and uh, they, we just we spent I spent a whole day preparing for it and two whole days taping it, and uh, got some really good stuff. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. I'll be announcing it if they open it again on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, and also in the Pitmaster Club. Uh, so uh, take a look at, um, I'll give you the URL. Um, uh, go to tinyurl.com slash bbqstars. tinyurl.com slash bbqstars. 
and you'll get the whole lineup and all the recipes and see some video and uh, you can get your name on the mailing list and they'll let you know when they open up for registration again. I'll put that down in the description as well. So people can uh, click. Great. Great. So yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm hoping to go ahead and do that as well. And um, I've been so tempted to get on the the, the masterclass one, not just for uh, Aaron Franklin, but for, um, you know, you got uh, Thomas Keller's got two on there. You got Wolfgang Puck's got got one on there, and there's a couple others. Right, there's right. a couple others on there. I'd like to. You know, Alice Waters is yeah. there. I've signed up for it. Yeah. I've been taking uh, Thomas Keller's classes and Alice Waters classes. Yeah. I haven't dipped into um, uh, Wolfgang Puck yet, but uh, um, there are a couple other things that are interesting to me. Uh, I, uh, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a photographer and a writer, so I'm going to take some of the classes on writing and photography. Yeah, that's, and that's, you're like me, you're not just interested in just barbecue, just barbecue is a passion, but I love cooking all over, all, all kinds of different cooking methods. So, you know, Thomas Keller and Wolfgang Puck and, and Gore, even Gordon Ramsay, they kind of, you know, some of the things that they do, they make look simple, you know, <laughs> so it's a very interesting uh, uh, project. And this barbecue star sounds like it's going to be great as well. Yeah, I'm really in, uh, anxious to see the, um, uh, the final product. Uh, I know my segment should be really good because, you know, you, you know when you're having a good day and when you're having a bad day, you know. And uh, as I get older, I have more bad days than good days. But I was rocking it. I knew I was on. I was glib. I was extemporizing well. And uh, it, 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 it just fired on all cylinders for me. Really looking forward to that. And there was another thing that I got since I'm a Pitmaster Club member. Um, if you guys aren't a Pitmaster Club member on AmazingRibs.com, you need to do it because it's not very expensive <laughs> and it's very, uh, very informational. The Pitmaster Club is a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of information on there. A lot of people on there talking about barbecue and loving barbecue. So, but you just announced, um, like last week, I think it was the uh, you're going to have a Pitmaster conference in Memphis. Yeah, we are calling it the meetup in Memphis. Uh, uh, it, it, there is a conference every year for the barbecue trade for restaurateurs and caterers and competition teams run by the National Barbecue Association. But there is no conference for consumers. And we have uh, the largest consumer organization on earth, uh, the Pitmaster Club, 16,000 members. So we decided, what the heck, let's get them together and have some fun. A lot of members of our Pitmaster Club are virtual friends. I mean, they they know each other. They know about their families. They know when there's a new baby. They know when there's a new grill. Um, they know who's into sous vide and who's not. And they, they, There's vir- virtual friendships. Uh, it's a real community. Um, uh, and... Uh, so we've decided we're going to have a meetup about a year from now. It's but um, it's going to be in Memphis. We'll start off on Friday with a dinner, and uh, it's July thirty first to August second. Yeah, last weekend in July. Um, and uh, we're going to um, have a whole day of conference at the Peabody Hotel, one of the great hotels in the country, a grand old hotel in Memphis, and it's going to be pork centric. Memphis is pork centric. Um, we're going to have uh, some uh, interesting uh, uh, breeds of hog to taste. 
We're going to have a couple of presentations on pork and the state of the pork world and the new breeds and experimental breeds and uh, uh, cooking pork and uh, cut, cuts of pork. And uh, then we're going over to Beale Street, which is just a block away, and we're going to party away the night. And then the next morning, we're boarding the buses, and we're going to hit the barbecue joints. Uh, so it, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, the meetup in Memphis, and uh, you can just go to AmazingRibs.com, and uh, on the site, you'll see a blue promotional box, an ad uh, for it. Click on that, and you'll get the whole itinerary, and you can sign up and uh, join us in Memphis. Even if you're not a member, you got to join, but it's only 24 bucks a year and your membership, you it'll pay for itself. People really like, as I say, 83% renewal. Um, so uh, go check out the meet, out, meet up in Memphis. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to be there as will be the rest of our team. And uh, I'm looking forward to it a great deal. Yeah. So is it something you're going to do every year if this is goes over real well, or is it something? We hope so. We, I, I would like to do it, you know, uh, year two, go to Kansas City or Austin. Um, year three, go down to the Carolinas, uh, maybe do uh, Santa Maria, Chicago, um, hit all the great barbecue towns, you know, uh, uh, punch your passport. Yeah, take it up to Canada and then go all over the place. Why not, right? All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. We got a lot of, uh, had a good conversation, got a lot of good information. Um, if you guys... You need to check out amazingribs.com if you've never been there. If you've never looked at the Pitmaster Club, uh, like Mia had said, $24 is, is nothing for the information and everything you can get out of that. Um, check it out. I'll have all that in the description down below. I'll also have the description in the description the uh, information about the bar- Barbecue Stars video uh, series. Yeah, if you're interested in getting this um, PDF that I'm writing, I'm almost done with it on sous vide queue, um, send me an email. Just say, send me the uh, uh, the article um, the, or the PDF you're doing on sous vide queue. Just send it to meathead at amazingribs.com and I'll send it okay, to you. Okay, well, I'll put that down in the description as well so they have your email. And um, Well, you've seen the first draft and I'm polishing it now. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I looked it over and it looks really good. Um, lots of good information on there. A lot of stuff that I tell people, especially, especially on the uh, barbecue meats and stuff to uh, put it on the smoker wet. Some, you know, some people don't understand that when you, what you're trying to do when you, when you're smoking, it's not what you're trying to do when you're trying to grill, you know, you're trying to capture that smoke. And when you put something on, mm-hmm. you put it on wet, there's more chance that you're going to capture that smoke. And then, mm-hmm. and then it's just like spritzing. You know, I tell people spritzing is not to keep the, the inside of the meat moist. It's to build smoke profile. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like painting on, you know, a smoke layer, because it dries and then you got paint, just like paint, you know, you let it dry and you put another coat of paint on. That's what it does when you uh, spritz a, a, a brisket or a pork butt. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again, Meathead. I appreciate you coming. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. And I hopefully I'll get to meet you in person up at the uh, uh, sous vide conference next year in San Francisco. I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to meet you. For you. All right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. And Make sure you guys join us on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Well, thanks again for joining us, everybody. I want to thank Meathead Goldwyn one more time for being on. Make sure you check out the links below to AmazingRibs.com. Check out the Pitmaster Club. Check out the link to his book that's on Amazon. Also, check out the link to Barbecue Stars. That's also below. Make sure you also uh, shoot him an email 
and ask him for the PDF for CVQ that he's been working on. And as soon as he's done with that, he'll email it out to you. Make sure you check out Inkbird, who is the sponsor of the podcast. And thanks for following us. Make sure you subscribe, and I'll see you on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.